Welcome to the Zico Health Show. This is weight management expert, Narado Zico Powell. Here we discuss fitness, nutrition, gut health, alternative medicine, and anything else that impacts your health and fitness. So take a seat and enjoy the ride. So, welcome to another episode of the Zika Health Show. Today I have resilience expert, life and equus coach, Nancy McKay. And Nancy has a unique practice, one I've never experienced before, but she actually uses horses to help our clients to connect, reflect, and build courage. She's also a recovering alcoholic, and she shares some information about her story and things that she and their clients have done to overcome alcoholism. And to be honest with you, as I was going through this interview, I felt like I was talking to my grandma. And that's in a good way because she's older than I am, and she's had a lot more life experience. So I think many people can really benefit from this interview. So take a listen, and let's get started. Hey, Nancy, how are you doing today? I'm really good. How are you? I'm doing excellent. I'm really excited for this episode. Thank you so much for inviting me. Awesome. Thank you for being here. So let's jump into this thing. Tell us, how can we best deal with adversity? Oh, well, I think that dealing with adversity, I think it all starts with your ability to be vulnerable. You know, if <laughs> unless you're willing to, to ask for help, there's, it's really hard to handle adversity. You know, I think you have to be willing to, to be your authentic self and be vulnerable when you know that you don't have the answers to something, or if you need physical help, mental help, you know, anything, you've got to be willing to ask for help in order to get through it, I think. And even if it's not asking another person for help, asking the universe or your higher power or God, you know, whatever that is, you, you still have to be able to know that you can't do it alone. Right. So you can't, you can't solve a problem if you don't recognize that there is a problem. Exactly. It's, it's kind of like at the uh, AA meetings. I've never personally been to one, but from what I've heard okay. is that they have to first say my name, you know, I'm Narado Powell and I'm an alcoholic. And if you don't do that, you can't move to that next step. Right. Well, right. Um, you know, it's not a requirement, but it's, uh, and I've been to plenty of AA meetings. So, you know, they, it's not like they will kick you out the door if you don't admit that you're an alcoholic, but it's, it's, it's a way for you to understand that you need help and, and that you have this affliction, disease, whatever you want to call it, that humbling yourself I don't know that admitting that you're an alcoholic is the same thing as asking for help. You know, I, <laughs> I want to be careful that I don't step on toes here, but it's, you know, it's a going to AA or any kind of treatment facility or going through any kind of recovery program is in itself asking for help. And so you're not going to walk through the door of any recovery program if you're not willing to say I need some help 
Right. So it's kind of a surrender process at that point, it is. right? It, it like definitely it, is a surrender process. Right. Yes. right. So you're basically saying, okay, I'm here because I actually do need the help. And once yeah. you recognize that you do need the help, then you're more likely to listen and make changes. I think one of our issues that, and it's found mostly in the Western world, is that we stop learning at a certain point. I was actually having this conversation with someone today, and I was telling them that we, we want to become 18 or 19 or 20, so we feel like we're adults. And once we get to the point of being an adult, now I'm, I, I'm a, I can do whatever I want. Now we have 16-year-olds saying that. I'm practically grown. I can do whatever I want. And that inhibits learning because we think, that, okay, we know what we need to know. And I don't know how many out there are, um, are you know, we read the Bible, but Paul would say, when I was a child, I spake as a child. And now I'm a man. I'll put away childish things. Now, that's essentially saying that you, you, um, you're, you're grown and you're mature. But you still have to still have that mindset of I'm going to continue to learn and I'm going to continue to do better. So putting away childish things doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, you stop growing at that point. But it does mean that you do think of things on a mature level. So then let's talk about our resilience. How do you what do you consider building resilience and how would you build resilience? Well, I think, you know, adversity and resilience, I think, go hand in hand. And so as you are going through adverse situations and you learn from them and you grow through them, then you become resilient. So once again, allowing yourself to be vulnerable creates resilience because it, it, it builds courage. <laughs> when, you, when you're vulnerable, then your, your courage muscles build and that in turn creates resilience. And so, you know, you, you bounce back from things better. You, the old saying, you roll with the punches, right? And so, unfortunately, the more times you get knocked down, the better your resilience gets because you, you learn how to cope with that. I was going to say if you're smart, but, <laughs> but if you're lucky, you, you have learned how to cope with hardship and adversity. And so then you do come out on the other side more resilient than when you went through it. So it's were. kind of like building based on practice. So you come in and you acknowledge and you surrender. You know, okay, I, at this point in my life, I do need help, which honestly, most of us do. We're just not willing to say that we do. I was reading somewhere, it says that um, anxiety, I think it affects about 18% of Americans, around 51 million people. Yeah. And uh, we don't, and oftentimes by the time we, we surrender, it, I'm not saying it's too late, but it's getting closer to that point. Instead of recognizing from the beginning, okay, I need help. I need to make a change. Because in the beginning, we can make small changes to get us to where we need to be. But when things become overwhelming, it's a lot harder to make the right choices. And that's when a professional needs to step in and mm -hmm. put that train back on the tracks that it needs to be. But right. it all starts with recognizing we need the help, taking the steps the small steps as we go along and those together, the recognition and the practice can build resilience. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I want to talk about horses. I've only ridden, ridden horses once. Uh, I was in, a, it was in Hawaii about, I think about three years ago, one of the best experiences of my life. <laughs> but, but you practice with horses and I do think this is awesome. How, why do horses make such good partners in your coaching practice? Well, first of all, we don't ride horses um, in my in my uh, equus coaching everything is done on the ground and so 
there's no writing involved and you don't have to have course experience or anything like that. And the reason why they're such great co-facilitators is because they are so intuitive. They are only concerned with the present moment. And so they don't have an agenda. They don't, <laughs> they pick up on, on our energy when, and they're, <laughs> they're great BS detectors. So if you go into a round pen with a horse, which is a, you know, like a 60 foot diameter enclosure. And if you go in into the round pen and you act as if you don't have a care in the world, when in reality, you know, maybe you're going through addiction or you have massive amounts of debt that, you know, weighing on your mind or you're going through a divorce or, you know, something isn't congruent with this exterior, oh, everything's fine, thank you very much, right? Well, the horse picks up on that. They know that, that you're not being authentic. And as a result, they don't want to have anything to do with you because they don't trust you. You know, they don't feel the connective energy and it's not positive energy, it's authentic energy. And so, once you land on the fact that, okay, everything's not so great. <laughs> you know, I'm really dealing with something here. I'm afraid. I'm depressed. I'm, you know, whatever it is. Then here comes the horse because they know that you're congruent in your, your energy has matched your emotion and that's all they care about. And so what happens is if, if you've landed on something that's difficult to deal with and a horse comes up to you, nuzzles you or starts exhibiting behaviors that indicate relaxation and comfort, like licking and chewing or, you know, something like that, that, that horses will relax if everything in their environment is congruent. You know, if they don't feel like they have to be afraid of anything, then then they'll relax. And that is a sign that there's no conflict. And so it's, you know, they really can help because, you know, if somebody says everything's fine and they don't open up to me, then I have to take them at their word, right? But when the horse d displays behavior that contradicts what they're saying, then I know that I need to dig a little deeper. They're really great co-facilitators and we can cut to the chase so much faster because, because I've got this, you know, they act as a mirror. It's so beneficial and it's, it's incredible and a, a, an incredible privilege to witness a client have their eyes light up like, oh, wow, there it is. That's really you know, and I see them transform right in front of my eyes. And it's, it's magic. And you're basically talking about vibrations at that point. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, I, I, I do plan to write an article and post it on my blog on, um, on vibrations. So people can really understand where that really comes from. We are energy beings and all animals. And yes, human beings are animals, are energy mm -hmm. beings. Yeah. And those stuck emotions, the, the anger and the fear, those are low vibrations. Now, when you get into happiness and joy and feeling really good, those are the higher vibrations. Right. And human beings, 
animals pick up on that. Animals do pick up on your vibrations. Mm-hmm. And this may sound strange to a Western ear, but when we talk to p- people in the Eastern side of the world or people who, uh, who work in nature, they, have, they, they believe the same thing and they know the same thing because animals do pick up on those vibrations. Absolutely. They're able to hone in and because they're not thinking about, oh, I have to go to work today. I take care of my kids. I have this to do. They're, they're, they don't hear all that noise and that, all that chatter of the ego going on. So they'll be able to, they're able to focus in on vibrations. We right. have too much going on around us. And that's why a lot of times when we do need help, it takes a long time for us to realize it because we're, we, we're shut out from really recognizing and seeing the things we need to see in front of us. Like, let me give an example. Um, there's research show that the average American is exposed to at least five to six stressors before they, say, start work in the morning, right? Mm-hmm. They, they wake up and the alarm goes off to wake them up and you're in the middle of REM sleep. It's like, ink, ink, ink. And it wakes you up. Sometimes you're ready to fight. You don't know what's going on. It right. jumps out of your sleep. Immediate stress, stressful mode. Then if you have kids, you say, okay, well, I have to get the kids ready for school or this or that. Where's my coffee? You know, I, what, what time is it? I have to do this. By the time you look around, you know, you, your day started off the first hour, hour and a half, and you're stressed already. Right. right? And when you have all that going on, you can't focus in on yourself. You can't focus in on your vibrations. And that's why I med- when I first get up every morning, I meditate. Well, first of all, I'm, my alarm clock is very subtle. It, it's, it's not a hard noise. I'm a soccer fan, so it says, go city. It's a soccer thing. <laughs> and, and usually I'm about waking up at that time anyway. Mm-hmm. And as soon as I wake up, I take a couple minutes. Then I meditate for 10 to 15 minutes every morning with my essential oils. And I raise my vibrations in the morning. Once I raise my vibrations, then I take a shower. Then I start preparing my coffee. Then I go through my day. And then I, I'm sorry, not go to my day. I go to my morning. Then I start my day. Mm-hmm. And that's, that positivity will take you through the rest of your day. And right. you see things a lot clearer. You have a sharper mind. There's a ton of research and practices that, that, that show that. But we need to move closer to those natural habits. Absolutely. Absolutely. So now we're talking about practices. We're talking about culture now. So we talked a little bit about AA in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Tell us uh, what role does our culture play in creating an over-drinking um, society? <laughs> well... Um, you know, the alcohol business is, is big business and it's just like the tobacco industry was years ago. You can't drive down the street without seeing a billboard about alcohol or a liquor store. And now, you know, the, the pot shops are becoming just as prevalent as alcohol, um, or a liquor store. So the bottom line is that those things are mind altering substances whatever whatever it is i believe what's happened is we have created this culture that tells you that it's better to have your mind altered than not and and that you can't really have a good time unless you're in an altered state of being and it just for me it's just um i was i was an alcoholic for a you know, an active alcoholic for a couple of years and a very heavy drinker, if not alcohol abuser for years before that. And so I know all about the altered state <laughs> because I loved it. I mean, you know, I, I loved having that nice buzz going. 
But what happens is, at least for me, what happened was I got to the point where the phenomenon of craving kicked in. And, and that didn't start right out of the gate for me. That took years to develop. But I got to the point where every sip would make me thirsty for the next one. And so that's the phenomenon of craving that kicks in. And that's why people who are alcoholic have such a hard time stopping is because they've now got that physical addiction. You know, it starts out as a as a psychological addiction, you know, oh, let's have a drink and, you know, it's got to be five o'clock somewhere and, you know, let's, let's do some day drinking, right? And it, you know, it's just so culturally, culturally acceptable. And it's, (laughs) and it's such a damn shame because, you know, we shouldn't have to get high in order to enjoy ourselves. Right. I definitely agree with that. And I think too, and you may want to chime on to this, it's an escape. You know, oh, we, absolutely. exactly. We're looking for, okay, I'm, I'm in a bad day. I deserve a drink. Absolutely. You know, and then you don't know, first of all, the, the destruction is doing to your mind and to your brain cells and inhibiting neurogenesis, which is the creation of new brain cells. So mm-hmm. that's where that damage comes in. Right. And then also, too, you're not dealing with your issues. So you're not able to really focus in on the vibrations, right. focus on the energy and say, okay, let me fix this. I did an interview um, about two or three weeks ago with Christina of Sepian. And um, she's a licensed hypnotherapist. And she was talking about fixing an issue. So most of us look at the leaves of the tree, right? We say, okay, you know, the leaves, mm-hmm. the trees, not, the leaves don't look good. Let's, let's focus on the symptoms. But we don't go to the root and say, okay, let, let's look at the root and see what's really going on. Because once you fix the root of a problem, everything else will take care of itself. Mm-hmm. But if you, go, if you just fix the leaf or a leaf here or a leaf there, the problem is still going to keep coming back, even exactly. if it's not worse because the root's not taken care of. Right. It's a coping tool and it's a, a tool that helps us numb out. And it's doing so much more harm than we acknowledge. Right. And alcohol is a, especially um, hard liquor is a funny thing because it hits you on many angles. There's the alcohol part that's, that's, um, that causes the addiction, but it also there's the sugars that cause oh, the addiction. Yeah. So you're addicted from, you having the, you, and the destruction also comes from both ends because the alcohol causes all the excess inflammation in your body. Mm-hmm. Excess alcohol, at least I should say, can kill the, um, your brain cells and also damage your gut. Then the excess sugars is doing the same thing while causing addiction right so now i'm not telling anyone don't drink alcohol at all i'm a red wine drinker once or twice a week um but and i do that mostly for the resveratrol and the health benefits of that but excessive alcohol and constantly drinking and using it as an escape that's when you need to stop and say okay why am i doing this and i need to find someone or something that can help me before it gets to the point to where i feel like i can't return right and that's that's the that's the difficult thing because I think it's hard to make a change unless you feel con- negative consequences, right? So that's that's why so many people keep drinking beyond the point of the ability to really set it aside without difficulty, is because first of all you don't you don't notice that it's that it's catching up with you, you know, so you wake up hungover. Okay. Well, you know, I'll, I'll, 
take a few days off, right? I, I won't drink for a couple of days or whatever it is, but, but we have such a short memory, you know, that, that sometimes we wake up in the morning and we have a, a horrible hangover, but by five o'clock, we forgot how rotten we felt first thing in the morning. So we're back at it. Right. Exactly. And so it's, you know, it's a, it's a really slippery slope and it's one that we can get caught on really easily. Right. And then that look on your face that when you wake up and you, you, you look like you aged 20 years, Oh yeah. Because you're dehydrated, your <laughs> yep. gut's destroyed. So that look on your face, whatever you see there, your gut feels 10 times worse. Yeah. Um, because everything that you've done to your body at that point, and that's what we need to realize. Okay. We need to make a change here because mm-hmm. if I keep doing this, I'm, doubling maybe even tripling the uh the the rate of which I'm ape of which at which I'm aging. We definitely need to consider those as well. So you've been to some AA meetings and you, you like you said you were um an alcoholic for a, a while. So you're a really good person to ask this question. What are some <laughs> best ways or tips to quit drinking? Well first of all ask for help. Nobody does it alone. Um you can't you can't do it alone. I mean, you know, I suppose you could, you know, lock yourself away in your in your house and uh, sweat it out, but it's going to be really unpleasant and it may not work because until you're <clears throat> willing to ask for help. And like I say, you know, that, that includes God or your higher power or the universe, whatever. So, you know, maybe you're, maybe you are meditating and you're praying and you're, you know, you're asking for help. So your chances are increased of being successful. But the other thing that, you know, it, the, the first thing that I tell my clients when they come to me, when, if they say, I want to quit drinking, okay, get rid of all the booze in the house, <laughs> you know, first step, you've asked me for help. I'm assuming that maybe you've talked to God about it. So, you know, two steps in the right direction there. And then we work on, you know, tools to to get through those cravings that you will have breathing exercises and meditation a little bit of more exercise than maybe what you've been doing or you know something like that and it's all and mindset is such a huge part of it because it's not the circumstances that that give us our result or determine our actions or how we feel about things it's our thoughts about the circumstances. So if, if we wake up and, and we say, you know, I can't do it, <laughs> I, I can't do it. Well, that creates a, an emotion in our body, a vibration, right? Uh-huh. That is negative, it's low energy, <clears throat> excuse me. And it tells us that we're, we don't believe in ourselves. Right. And there's, uh, there's tons of studies now, or reports, I should say, of where a doctor may tell someone, okay, you have six months to live, you have a year to live, and that person will, will die before that time frame. And when they open them up and look at them, they realize the disease didn't kill this person. Right. Um, and it's what they realize, because it's your mind. Once you, you hear that message, and then you take it as a, neg- as a negative thing, and you, you home that message, then you start to decay mentally and on the inside. Absolutely. But if you were to take that message and use it in a positive way and raise your vibration, 
yeah. then now now you can actually you may be able maybe even to combat the disease that you're dealing with. Now, I'm not a medical doctor. I'm not going to say think positive and you live forever because that's not the case, of course. But when we're talking about epigenetics, of course, you know what genetics are, what happens in the body, what we inherit. Epigenetics is a, it's a newer form of science. But basically what it's basically breaking down is that we're not slave to our bodies. We're not slave to our genetics. Our mind plays an important role. Epi meaning above. So when you move above your genetics and you actually, instead of your body telling you what to do, you're telling your body what to do, you then can enhance so, so many changes within yourself physically and also in your mind because our mind is powerful. But yeah, so when it comes to epigenetics, we now can, we have so much evidence now that shows that we can control what happens in our body because our minds are extremely powerful. So like oh, it's not surrender and it starts with belief. Yep. Yeah. It's. It's incredible the power that our mind has, what it can do. And it's interesting that, you know, our our brains will lie to us all day long, mm -hmm. right? <laughs> but our bodies know the truth. Exactly. So if we get quiet and we tap into how our bodies are feeling, then then we'll we'll be able to gain so much wisdom from our body, but people let their, their brains override everything. Right? Right? So I think it's important, you know, because, because our thoughts will create our emotions and our vibrations in our body. We have to be careful what we're thinking. And what we're listening to. Exactly. And what we're listening to. Are you and listening so, to the ego? There's the ego brain. Are you listening to the ego, the chatter, or are you actually connecting with source? Those are two exactly. very important distinctions. Exactly. Very, very well said. <laughs> connecting with source, it's, it's huge. So I want to ask you, because you mentioned your profile about um, getting out of her own way. Mm -hmm. How can you help women best deal with mindset hurdles? So one of the things that I've been, that I've learned you know, I've learned in my training, my coach training, and I've had a couple coaches that that I've hired work with me with this tool, and it's called the model. And and Byron Katie created this body of work called the work. It's a very meditative process where you question your thoughts, and so. That has kind of um, filtered down into this tool called the model, which it was created by Brooke Castillo, who founded the Life Coach School. And she studied Byron Katie's work and simplified it for ease of use. It's not quite as meditative as the work is. So what it is, is, you know, we question, you have to question things, you know, and get curious about what we're thinking and why. And first of all, is it true? <laughs> because like I said, our brains will lie to us all day long. So, well, he doesn't like me. Really? Is that true? Do you know that's true? And so, you know, if you're thinking of, of someone, that person is, is considered the circumstance, right? So, they go on the sea line and and then you when you you have a thought about that person and that thought creates a feeling and that feeling 
generates an action. And that action will create a result that goes directly back to the initial thought. So, you know, if you don't think someone likes you, then it makes you feel defensive or hurt feelings or something like that. And then the actions that you take might be, you know, you either start a fight or, or you go and isolate. <laughs> right? And then the result is you, you know, you continue to think that the person doesn't like you because they're not doing anything to, to stop the fight or to come find you and stop your isolating. So it, it's this little package that we create just from our thoughts. And the thought is probably not true. Right. So, and it's, it's similar to what I was talking about earlier with when a doctor may tell you, okay, you have a year to live. You start to create that thought. And once you create that Absolutely. thought, everything else starts to follow along with it. Um, now, that's not to say the person couldn't have been sick at the time, but you've made it worse by telling yourself, okay, guys, I only have a year to live. I'm just going to mope around or whatever and, you know, deal with it. But when you okay. tell yourself that you tell your body, okay, I'm going to live life to the fullest. I'm going to enjoy myself. I'm going to start feeling better. You'd be surprised the things that it can do. And yeah, oh, they all, it all starts with a thought. Like you said. Right. And I'll, I've got a great example for that. So my mom died. Um, well, she was diagnosed with cancer at the age of 59. And she died when she was 64. After she was gone, I thought to myself, well, if I can get past 59 without a cancer diagnosis, I'm home free. I was diagnosed with ovarian cancer on my 58th birthday. Now, I don't know that that's the only reason why I was diagnosed with ovarian cancer when I was 58, but I do know that I thought the thought enough, I believe that that planted a seed. Which manifested, right? Which manifested. And, and so, you know, I, I, I truly believe that, that that's possible, that that's part of why I got cancer. And I also believe that that's why people can, with their mind, say, no, I'm not going to believe that. I am healthy. That's true. And you know, um, the Japanese, the longest living, um, basically the longest living nation in the world, they, uh, they, of course, they practice mindfulness, they practice meditation. But what's one of the key things that they do is that they have employment agency that finds work for people after retirement. Mm -hmm. um, so, and the important piece, it may not be something difficult. It's something that you go out and you do like a crossing guard, you know, a few hours a day, mm -hmm. and, but it keeps your mind active and keeps you engaged. So that yeah. goes back to what I was saying. It goes back to your thoughts. But when your mind is active and engaged and you're thinking positive thoughts, that leads to longevity. Um, my grandmother passed a few years ago. She was at first staying with, you know, she was staying with her kids. And then they had to put her in a nursing home because they couldn't take care of her anymore. And within a year of being in a nursing home, she passed because what her mind, she didn't have, the her neurons weren't firing like they were supposed to. She, right. um, she wasn't thinking that as positive thoughts. She felt alone. So our mind plays a huge part in what happens to us. And we need to stop ignoring that. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, and that's why I do what I do is, is because, for me, it's, you know, and I experienced so much of this myself, you know, before I quit drinking and, and when I was going through cancer, you know, I, I didn't have the tools 
that I do now when I was faced with cancer, but I did have my recovery behind me and the tools that I learned there. And so, you know, that helped a great deal. We can learn these things and we can implement them and change our lives. You know, what, what Wayne Dyer said, you know, change your thoughts, change your life. It's true. It is true, and that's really and that's really powerful. And I like that the fact that you start with a thought and you build your way up from that. That's extremely powerful. And for example, like with uh, weight loss, people trying to lose weight, the fact that they're trying to lose weight, they think about it all the time, can be an extra stressor, which raises your cortisol, making it harder for you to lose weight and raise your blood pressure, right? Right. So that it all starts with thoughts. Yep. Now, this is an open-ended question because we've talked about alcoholism. We've talked about our mindset. We've talked about, you know, vibrations, connecting with animals. What do you want my listeners to know about your practice and how it can be beneficial to them? Well, gosh, I would just love for anyone that, you know, that feels like they're stuck. My, my website says, you know, are you stuck in the effing muck? You know, and if, because that, that's a mindset issue. And if you think that you're stuck in the, in the muck of life, if you can't seem to break free of it yourself, then I can help you. You know, it's, it's just, you know, once again, it's, it's being, allowing yourself, giving yourself permission to ask for help. And whether it's with me or someone else, you don't have to suffer alone and suffer in silence. You can change your life, you know, I, and I can help you. <laughs> if you're in Colorado or want to come to Colorado and work with me and the horses, we can speed up that process it is truly unnecessary to feel stuck. Right. And then the fact that you're combining it with the horses, you're, you're combining it with nature, you're letting nature guide you. And then you're connecting the vibrations with yourself and also with the horses, which yeah. is very important. I mean, there's so many studies that show that people who have uh, animals, like, you know, like pets, that how much it, it lengthens their lifespan and their joy and their happiness because they fall in love with that animal. The animal basically becomes like their child. And it, you see a, a smile on your face when you see them. If they're ill, then it bothers you and you want to make sure that they're well taken care of. So you right. then, you're connecting, you're raising your vibrations, you're raising your emotions, you're adding health to your life. Absolutely. And, and all of this that we've been talking about today, you know, one of the other things is that all of these things help increase the value that you bring to things and the things that you feel give you purpose. Exactly. Right. And so when you feel like you don't have anything to offer or that you're not fulfilling a purpose, then you become, it's really easy to become depressed because you don't feel worthy. And that is such a huge, huge issue. Knowing that you're valued and that you're serving a purpose is a huge element to happiness and creating the value within yourself and not depending on outside sources to determine your level of value. <laughs> and, and that's, you know, that only took me, you know, 60 or so years to land on that, you know, to really embrace that. And that goes back to what I was talking about with the Japanese. That one of the reasons why they have an employment agency post, um, right. post 
people's exactly. retirement, or as you say, first retirement, right? Is right. because it gives them that purpose. It gives them a reason to be around. Exactly. You know? And uh, it, it, it makes it, they interact with people of their age or maybe even younger, or a little bit older. They get to laugh and smile. Right. Exactly. And, and value attracts value. Like, you know, you're adding value. They're adding value to your life. You're adding value to their life. Oh, and yeah. And the, it's like the positive energy attracts the positive energy. Absolutely. Absolutely. So you've given us a lot of good information, Nancy. I really love this interview. So what's the best way to get in touch with you? Probably my website, um, amazingoutlookcoaching.com is a great place to start. Yeah, I would just love for anybody to visit. And if you want to uh, shoot me an email, I'd love to visit nancy at amazingoutlookcoaching.com. Awesome. And if I'm out in Colorado, I'm definitely looking you up. Absolutely. Um, I hope you will. Oh, I definitely will. I definitely will. That's an experience that I can't pass up. Her information will be in the show notes along in the, as a description of this podcast. So you'll be able to reach out to Nancy if you need to. Wonderful. I look forward to it. Thank you so much. Well, Nancy, I hope you enjoy the rest of your day, okay? Thank you. You too. Thank you. Bye now. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Zico Health Show. If you got good quality content out of this episode, save, subscribe, and share it out there family, friends, co-workers, or anybody who needs to hear this information. Remember, always take the scenic route and enjoy the ride.